Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Want to teach your kids financial literacy but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com ACAST. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Thanks for listening to Creative Control. Uh, while I have you here, please consider supporting Youth Empowerment and Support Services, otherwise known as YES. Based in Edmonton, Alberta, YES provides immediate and low-barrier overnight and day shelter, temporary supportive housing, and individualized wraparound supports for young people aged 15 to 24. They work collaboratively within a network of care focused on the prevention of youth homelessness by providing youth with the necessary supports to stabilize their housing, improve their well-being, build life skills, connect with community, and avoid re-entry into homelessness. Learn more about how to donate or otherwise support YES by visiting YESS.org. This is Dmitry Samarov from Chicago, Illinois. And I love listening to Vishkana's creative control because whether he's talking to a favorite musician or actor of mine or someone I've never heard of, it's as if he's introducing me to a new friend. And the way things are going, couldn't you use a new friend? Listen now. To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control, please visit patreon.com slash creative control today. Ian Reid is a celebrated and distinctive author based in Kingston, Ontario. After the publication of two non-fiction works, Reid wrote his remarkable, suspenseful 2016 debut novel, I'm Thinking of Ending Things, which was adapted into an acclaimed film for Netflix by Oscar winner Charlie Kaufman. His follow-up work, 2018's Foe, is another chilling, genre-bending exploration of interpersonal dynamics and it, too, has been adapted into a film starring Saoirse Ronan, which will be released in the near future. Reed's latest work of fiction is We Spread, a haunting meditation on aging, art, mortality, and perception, which was published by Scout Press on September 27, 2022. Ian returns to this show for an extended conversation about We Spread and what inspired it, how we perceive senior citizens and how they may perceive the world around them. 
how his work has been categorized and what he makes of genre signifiers, how his real life makes it into his fantastical novels, ageism and obsessions with staying young, the state of the Canadian book industry, and the good fortune that he himself has enjoyed, the band Weird Nightmare, future plans, and much more. A part of the Entertainment One Network with the support of listeners like you who follow and subscribe to this podcast and spread the word about it and make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash creativecontrol plus in-kind support from Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee respectively in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario, and with a special appearance by a dog named Della, this is episode 719 of Creative Control, featuring the lovely and talented Ian Reed with your host, me, Vish Khanna. Hi, Ian. How you doing? I'm doing very well, Vish. Nice to see you. Uh, how are you doing? I'm well, thank you. Uh, it's nice to see you again. Thanks for being back on the show. I can't wait to talk about another brilliant, disturbing thing you made. I will say that, if you don't mind me saying so. Uh, first of all, though, where in the world are you today? I'm sitting uh, in in Kingston, Ontario, with my dog. And she. Uh, there was just a lawnmower uh near near us and that always kind of throws her for a loop so i apologize on her behalf if it if you hear her in the background but she will she will settle it's a nice day here i think so both of us are happy to be outside um i think this time of year there's always an urgency to work and and read and and uh, spend as much time outside as possible so that's why today i'm talking to you outside because i know in a, in a matter of weeks that probably will be unlikely so um yeah it's nice to be here it's a it's a beautiful sunny day um and uh, it's just good to be back chatting with you well i appreciate all that context for those listening around the world that was a very canadian answer (laughs) uh we are very seasonally dependent and uh, as we're speaking it's the fall or yeah it's it's is the beginning of fall. I can't even believe it. It feels like summer still. So, no, yes. and don't mind the dog. I don't – does the dog – is the dog upset at the lawnmower because of the noise or some sort of territorial thing because they think the grass is there, the lawn is their it, own thing? It's it's a little bit of both. I think she's territorial, but also the, the louder the intruder, the more vehement she becomes. So even a small – if she notices a squirrel, say, in a neighboring – field she may react to that but because the lawnmower draws so much attention to itself she is going to react to that no matter what so it's a little bit of both it's a little bit of the sound a little bit of territorial um and uh yeah she'll she always eventually calms down again so yeah right now a little bit of quiet so we'll see if that lasts we'll see what happens it'll depend on how bad my questions are i think (laughs) that might she'll be the arbiter (laughs) i think so she'll be like no i don't know this is a dumb one no anyway no that's great (laughs) <laughs> that's what every bark means I wrap it up let's the next well, next thing she, she's my uh, the do- basically, yeah. she's the producer she's the, the producer, your dog's exactly. like a podcast producer yeah uh, again congratulations on the book I'll just those of uh, those listening can't see this but I'm gonna hold up a copy of my book like we're on a TV talk show I've got we spread here and uh, it's a another brilliant thing as I say disturbing on some level let's begin with you and your words uh, about this book. Uh, can you summarize 
uh, the action of this book for those who haven't encountered it yet. And then we'll get to maybe my who, what, where, when, why, and how in the hell uh, series <laughs> yeah. of questions. But can you first summarize it for those listening? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I think I've always had a bit of a hard time doing that with all of my books, you know, early in in meetings with, with the publisher, there's, there's a, mo- there's moments or times, I guess, when that topic comes up, how are we going to describe this book? Or even when you're writing the, the copy for the back jacket. And I think my preference, if I had my, my druthers, I guess I, I would, I would leave the back blank. You know, I, I typically like to go into a book without knowing anything. I know that's unrealistic and I know publishers can't do that. So it's always a bit of a compromise for me to say, okay, here's what I'm comfortable saying on the back without, because I, I would like people to go into it in a way knowing as little as possible. So all that being said, the way I would sort of describe We Spread is it's a story about an artist, a, a woman named Penny who is, who is elderly and living alone. And, um, uh, an event at her apartment where she has lived for many, many years uh, causes her to have to move into a long-term care facility. And then the story, I would say, evolves from there. So That is a, a very fair and succinct way of putting it. I will uh, say these things to you. Uh, number one, I like to ask authors what they are willing to divulge in summarizing the story, because I'm very uh, mindful of spoiling things. Uh, as someone who has read the book, I'm I'm th- I'm in my second time through the book right now, and uh, and as a result of this, uh, rereading part one, I'm like, oh shit, okay, <laughs> now I see yeah. where I went there uh, the first time. The yeah. point of the point of this though is, I think uh, in your case in particular, the kinds of books you write. That blank slate at the back that you describe is really uh, important because you are uh, in the realms of suspense. And Mm -hmm. I think misdirection is probably a fair way of – is that a fair way of describing parts of what you do? I think so. I I would say it's unintentional misdirection because, you know, and this is is maybe relevant for – I don't want to hijack the question. But, you know, I think sometimes I I will see – this book or even my other two novels called thrillers or psychological thrillers. And I actually don't think of them that way. That's, that's not, that's not how I said it. That's sort of not what I set out to write. And I always think, you know, psychological thrillers is a very particular genre. And I, you know, I read those books, I know what they are. And I think if someone came to this book expecting that they would be disappointed, I think, because they offer something slightly different. I do think probably again, not even, I don't plan this out, but there are, are elements of various genres in in this book, um, and, and I think you know there are there is suspense. It's, it can be unsettling at times, surreal. But I think you know, similar to say music, if you had you know if you had like a slide guitar and a song, is that is it immediately now a country album? Fair you enough. Know, yeah, pro- probably not. You know, and yeah. but it's like trying to take pieces of things that I think are interesting and I think are relevant and. And I, I also think I don't mind if people read it a particular way. So if, if a reader picks it up and, and by the end of the book they think, oh, this is a, I, re- I read this as a psychological thriller. I have no problem with that. I always, I'm always just a little bit more leery. I think of if let's say a bookstore puts it in that section, or if just just because again, I think that promise is something that maybe it isn't. But definitely, 
I think there are elements of that genre in the in the story and 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 so I but again I don't you know I don't write with an outline and I don't plan out elements of the story it's more I get a, an idea of an image or or I, sorry I get an image or I get a, a question in my head or a, and then I just kind of start writing and and you know maybe if, maybe at some point an image might take me down a path that is pure comedic or something or but the, in, in those first three novels I've written, it, it does seem to take me down a path that is a little more unsettling, and and really I'm just trying to get at some questions that I find interesting. I think genre signifiers are often applied by other people to things for their own grounding. It, it can sometimes reveal that they don't under they don't yeah they don't actually know what it is, so they just need a foothold. Yeah. So they'll like I as you're speaking That's right. as you're speaking I grabbed so what I have here is what they call in the biz an arc an advanced reading copy. Yes. So as you were speaking I'm like, "Huh, I wonder how they framed the book on the back, you know, they'll usually write some sort of yeah. genre thing, fiction." Yeah. That's all it says. Yeah. It just yeah. says fiction. Exactly. That's great. And I'm I'm happy with that. I think, you know, that is obviously the most broad term that you could apply to it. Um and that's so I, I am more comfortable with that than any particular genre, you know, be it horror or, uh, I, you know, I know they, the publisher has called it philosophical suspense and, mm. you know, I understand that too. Or, you know, with Faux, my last book, there were some sci-fi elements. And mm-hmm. so I kind of don't mind how readers interpret that or how, if they discuss that or, but it's more, I think if you sent the book to someone like yourself or, and if you said, okay, here's a thriller or, say a reviewer and you said here's a thriller they're, they're going to expect something else and i i feel like i've especially with my first two books i i would come across reviews sometimes and it, it seemed like the reviewer was only thinking of a thriller when they read it and and so it, it sort of didn't seem like the, the the best way to go into the book with that in that context i think if you come to that by the end that you know again that's that's valid that's however any reader you know, interprets it, I, I'm happy with. So, but I think going into it, the, the more open, the, the more broad, the better, basically. So if just fiction and I, it's definitely fiction, then I'm happy with No, that. I can appreciate that. So, uh, as someone who's read your previous works, uh, I get the book in the mail. I'm like, uh oh, here we go. Uh, because I've read your yeah. other books. So I kind of, you have become, yeah. I appreciate what you're saying. You don't have an outline. I want to ask you in a moment about whether or not you have characters in mind when you have that image you describe, that idea, that glimmer of a thing, but you don't outline it. I want to talk about the character development in just a moment. Um, because as I, wait a minute, was it you, Ian, that you don't really edit? You just sort of go and you don't really second guess yourself? Was that you and I that had that talk? Well, I, I, I it's possible. I think when I'm writing a first draft, I try not to edit myself yeah, at all. You just because go. Because that's a very particular stage yeah. yeah just go and try and get that first draft down and and that's also the hardest uh part of the process for me is that first draft i think because i'm starting with very little just a, sometimes just an image or sometimes just an idea or a question and it has to be enough obviously that intrigues me or excites mm. me and then i follow i follow that path by writing about it and sometimes that'll peter out and it will lead nowhere and i, and I, I put that aside and other times like in the case of we spread it it, it builds momentum and carries on yeah and so then what, i discover things so that yeah that first draft is basically just getting it down where i'm coming from because you just said discover there too i think that 
uh, you have maybe this outlook that I hadn't really considered before, which is a bit of verite thing, maybe like you rely on your instincts uh, to create these these worlds, I think. And as a result, you're you're even getting a first impression of your own work as you're going. Like, I'm not trying to make it seem like you're having an out of body experience or some of them weird. But I feel like you you no. you would hope that the readers uh, are coming to your work and you're still relatively young you're very successful as far as I can tell. Like, you know, your work has resonated, but you're still kind of a, a, a name that's still getting out there. I think that's probably fair yeah. to say. Yeah. So you have the good fortune. Absolutely. You have the good fortune of a lot of people coming to you and your work with nothing, almost no context. It's, it's because Which I love. that's great. And it seems to me that that's something you really count on is people using, not knowing, developing first impressions as they go. Uh, the same way you tend to create a little bit. Is that a way of tying it all that's, together? That's a really good way to look at yeah. it. I, and I think that's how I feel as I'm writing it. it if, if I feel surprised as I'm going or if I go down a, into a direction I'm, un, I'm not expecting, it's a great feeling. And I, I, I think that then is in the work, too, for someone reading it. They ho- Hopefully they'll feel that surprise, too. That, that's my one of the reasons why I don't like to plan out too much. Because if you, if you set out and start planning... Yes, you have that comfort of a map to start with, but then you end up staying on course and you don't veer off. You don't find new things. And, I, and, and as I'm writing, that's what I find most enjoyable are those moments of surprise. And, and they really do feel like discoveries. It feels like I'm discovering something, not that I'm making something up. And that sounds silly maybe, but it does feel that way. And, and especially as you get farther along in the draft and then pieces start to shift and they start to link and you see them coming together so not just character development but actually pieces of the story and plot and metaphor they all start to kind of when something's working you know it starts to come together and i really enjoy that and and that's why i wouldn't give that up by ever trying to plan a story um, in, in too much detail no and i as a reader i appreciate as you can tell i'm trying to be ginger about what we even reveal to people i want people to read the thing but we i do think it's worth exploring some of the background and impulses that that vision that oh could, yeah so we have alluded to your novels we've alluded to i'm thinking of ending things and foe and now we spread uh, you, that that's not it though for you. What was the first? And it's not even the yep. as I recall. What was the first thing you wrote? Two, yeah, I, I I'd written two books of nonfiction before my novels, and both of them were, uh, you know, I guess small kind of gentle memoirs, um, humorous. If you think they are, maybe <laughs> uh, that was kind of the attempt, <laughs> kind of humorous. Maybe uh, you know my. Like in a culinary analogy, maybe something like mac and cheese, like kind of comfort food that you can go to if you're tired or feeling maybe a little down. Yeah. Um, the first one was about being kind of in my mid-20s and uh, after kind of doing various jobs, uh, I ended up getting a little radio job in Ottawa to work at CBC Radio to review old books. Very minor, you know, 5.30 in the morning type thing. No one's listening. Hmm. 15 minute spot kind of, but I was excited by that. So I took it. And when I came back, when I returned to Ottawa, I didn't have anywhere to live and was not making a lot of money with predictably with that job. So I asked my parents if I could come back to their farm for a couple of weeks and live while I figured things out where I'd go next. And, and they said yes. And then it, you know, eventually turned into a year of being back at the farm and kind of 
in that spot in life when it's unclear what you want to do and you're kind of seeing people around you excel and work and find, you know, their path in life in a, in a kind of direct way. And it just seemed funny to me that I was in this situation. I mean, it was a little sad too, but also, I mean, humor is a good way to, I think, shift the perspective of something like that. And Mm -hmm. it just so happens that my parents are, are humorous. I think they're, they're kind of characters. They're both unique and, and they have a really, what I think of as a nice relationship, something that I probably took for granted when I was growing up. Yeah. So to be back as an adult and be around my parents and be around the farm where I grew up against something else I took for granted, which is the space, being around animals, I started to see everything a little differently. And so it's sort of a book about that, all, all of that um, in, in it. It's called One Bird's Choice. And then a couple years later, I wrote a book, uh, also nonfiction, about a minor, very minor road trip that I took with my grandma when she turned 92. Mm-hmm. In fact, so minor that it was, I basically just picked her up about two hours away where she lives and brought her to Kingston where I live and we spent five days in my apartment, which sounds bleak and unfun probably to most people. Not not a, not in any way a, the type of gift that I had offered her, which was a, a an actual trip somewhere. And I kept it a surprise because I myself didn't know where I was going to take her and I was worrying the whole time before the trip, like, what am I, can she even... What can she do at 92? Can I, should I take her? And, th- and that's why after humming and hawing, I decided I would just bring her here. And it turned out to be a great thing because we had, we had just time together and we talked the whole time and had meals and took walks. And so it was a, an amazing trip, unexpected. And because we had all that time, we talked and I ended up hearing so many stories from my grandma and I could observe her at that age and I admired her so much that I, w- I decided I wanted to write about that and, and write about her really. And so I wrote that book and it's called the truth about luck. And yeah, it came out a few years after that. So I, I, I felt like I had written a couple books of nonfiction. And part of the reason for that was for me, fiction is harder to write. Mm-hmm. I find it more difficult because you don't have, you know, with a nonfiction book, it's just reactive. Something happens that's real. And then you just, react to it like if i was writing about this you know the water mug i have and talking to you and i'm not making that up so i can just describe it in a way that feels important for the story whereas if i was making this up i'd have to make all these micro decisions to just to get to this point yeah so it's it, it it felt to me like i loved fiction i liked reading fiction more but i didn't think i was ready or able to try writing a whole book i'd written short stories and stuff but so it took those two books to kind of make me feel confident enough to even try writing a novel. And it was around that time that the idea for I'm Thinking of Anything came to mind. And, and uh, I just kind of went for it and started, even though that was a very different kind of book than the first two. Um, I, I just sort of started writing it and, and really enjoyed the process of writing fiction. But that, the, that experience you had, um, the rural experience, if you will, uh, farm life, that did em- end up being reflected in both of your first two novels, as I recall, just this is- the sense of isolation and what it's like to actually just uh, – sorry, your parents were working farmers. Is that correct? Uh, yes and no. I mean, it was more of a hobby farm. Right. But we did have you know, sheep and ducks and chickens and dogs and cats and bees and gardens. And so it sort of was a – it was a mix between the two. It kind of uh, definitely was the lifestyle of living on a farm. But uh, my my dad worked as well at, off the farm, too. So it was a little bit of both. And what did your grandmother do uh, vocationally? 
she was a nurse and uh she was also had she actually was she had signed up to be in the army for for the second world war so she actually was overseas with the with the troops um during the second world war so not something she talked a whole and she was an operating room nurse so she saw Mm. some horrific things and you know didn't talk a whole lot about it to me at least uh when i was young and i can understand why but i was you know curious about that and so that that that's something we talked a lot about on our trip together um she still remembered a lot and i I was fascinated by it and her outlook uh how that would change her and how that would change her adult life coming back from being part of something like that and so we definitely touched you know a lot on that and and then just on a lot of other things I, i they say she was someone who I always really admired the way she existed and the way she connected to people, even when she was well into her nineties. Um, yeah, she was always yeah. interested in other people. She, she lived that way. I think being curious and interested and it's such a, such a good example to not get too wound up in your own issues. Um, but to, to be, to still be, you know, interested to meet other people and, and learn about them and, she was always like that. So I was, I wanted to include that and ask her questions about that. And it was, it was nice because we had this time and I, that's something I've kind of encouraged people to do now after having done it myself is to, to, you know, if you're going to spend, if you're going to go on a trip with someone, sometimes it's nice to not over plan it and not have the whole schedule laid out or, you know, the, the day is allotted to something because if you, if you can have a meal that lasts three or four hours, it's kind of nice because you end up talking about things and well, kind of like what we were saying about writing, you go places you're not expecting and you yeah. touch on things. Maybe you're not anticipating and that's when you can really learn about things. So, well, one of the reasons I was asking about uh, some of, some of this for background is uh, I'm getting to that age uh, where my parents are getting older and, uh, and we're now apart. I live in Alberta. They live in Ontario and you know, I uh, worry about them a little bit uh, and, and whatnot. And um, your story, We Spread, uh, has, it has a lot to do with elder care on the one hand yep. and, and how um, seniors are regarded. It's interesting hearing about your grandmother's background in, in medicine and the kind of physicality um, she uh, encountered. Uh, like, sorry, the, the, the extent to which she encountered sort of the limits of what the human body can withstand yes. and what, what can happen yeah. just because there's a character in this new book uh, yeah. that is very much uh, interested. It seems anyway, in science yes. and medicine and what's going yeah. on. And yeah. um, again, I'm trying to be mindful of not spoiling anything. No, that's let's, okay. I mean, well, let, well, let's start with the elder care part because I think yeah. that is kind of to me anyway, uh, when I read it, I thought about my parents and I thought to myself, oh, I wonder if Ian's starting to think about what it's going to be like if and when his parents have to enter facilities like this. Because one of the, in Canada in particular, one of the major stories in the first year of the uh, 2020 pandemic about COVID-19 was really a focus on these long-term care facilities and um, homes for seniors and how uh, poorly they were actually managed. And, 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 and I, I suppose that, that that's on a government level, like just how poorly they were subsidized, yes. how poorly, I'm not trying to denigrate the people who work there, 
but no, I just think have, it's, you're right. Yeah, the people yeah. who work there are are amazing. Like that, from my experience, amazing. Yeah, completely underpaid and undervalued. Underpaid. It's, it's on. It's the the government level that that failed completely. It was um, just such a huge part of the narrative. Like this virus is ripping through these communities, and the people are not being taken the, through these uh, uh, homes and centers and whatnot. And no one's really taking care of it. And uh, in a way, and and also it was sort of an accepted loss. So, oh well, they're seniors. Yes. They're just exactly. going to get well, this thing. What do we, why we got to worry about everyone else. So they're really, anyway, sorry, Ian, all I'm getting at is I felt. I think that's connected to the book too. Those okay. Themes like yeah. Go the, ahead. The, the so, per, perce- well, no, just the way we perceive elderly and, 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 and aging and nearing death and, and how we mostly fear it and kind of revile it. Use value, uh, exactly. product, productivity in society. Productivity. Exactly. I, I guess where I'm coming from when I read this book is. And the timing of it is, do you suppose any of that narrative stuff that was going on in the media and in your real life, your real experience and people of our age who are going through stuff like this, do you feel like any of that may have spurred you on to pursue a book like this one? I mean, I think that's, that's a really good question, but funnily, or yeah, it is kind of funny in that I actually had kind of, I I wrote most of this before the pandemic. Oh, really? Okay. Huh. Yeah. But but it was it became even more relevant for me because of what everything you just said yeah what got me to start writing it was actually my own grandma moving into a, a uh. care home and when she right before she turned 100 um she had been living in her own house that she'd been living in since the 50s um and got to that point she had had developed dementia and it became a bit too much to be living living there um, so, you know, a, a, a care facility, a care home was found and she moved in and my family, we obviously helped move her in and we're spending a lot of time with her there. And that was my first meaningful experience, I would say, uh, seeing s- somewhere like that. And I, I mean, I, I was impressed both by my grandma's ability to adapt and to connect with other residents, some who had severe dementia connect in ways that almost how children might connect on a schoolyard, you know, and how she would interact with the, the staff. And I was so impressed with the staff at this facility. That's, that's the other thing. The job is so demanding working with, with elderly people. And, and it's, it, it's something just culturally we don't value enough and it's, it's awful. And, and you know, they were so kind to her and I think she connected with the, PSWs and the nurses there and um, the way she did with the other residents. But just that environment, just the idea of being at that stage of life, having any kind of cognitive decline and having to adjust to somewhere completely different, I was interested. So that was, in this case, it wasn't an image that I started with, but a setting. And I, and I, I, I knew I wanted to write about that because I was so interested in it and thinking about my, my grandma living there and that's how the story started so again following the thread i was trying to tie between uh, the kind of agrarian settings of your first two novels and also the relationship stuff mm-hmm. which is always really fascinating to me your interest in yes uh, relationship dynamics um, when people pick up this book uh, you will discover that the main character penny is just haunted by the yep. long-term relationship 
that uh, she and her partner were were in. Um, so that part's there. Where I'm coming from in this little uh, run of uh, thoughts about what you just said is this seems to then be, if my previous theorizing is correct, We Spread is another product of you kind of taking nonfiction real life stuff and trying to process it, if you will. Yeah. Sorry, that might be no, putting no. too much on, on you, but I think you you do I my sense of you from my familiarity with your work and our conversations is that you do try to process the real world, the nonfiction world, via fantastical fiction. Yes. Um, and I would that, I would even it, say more specifically questions and ideas that that are that I'm personally invested in that, that I feel it, 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 you know, that's something that I think is, has surprised me is that the, all three novels I've written feel more personal than both of those nonfiction books. And I wouldn't have anticipated that, but it, it just turns out that anything, any kind of fictional work that I spend time on is, has to feel personal. Otherwise I won't be able to do it. I won't be able to devote that much time or energy to it. And, and so it, it, I think not only are you right that I'm kind of starting from a position of, of being in the realm of nonfiction before I actually start delving into something that I make up it, it, the, 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 you know, the, the premise is made up, the characters are made up, but what I'm writing about is real and it's real for me. And it's yes. things that I'm unsettled by or I'm uncomfortable with or I'm, or I'm just unsure about and writing about it is, exploration for me it, 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 I, I'm never trying to provide answers for myself necessarily or anybody else but I'm trying to have a discussion that's what it feels like can I talk about myself for just a, a little bit because I, yeah, uh, I I think I might be dumb but I, <laughs> I, I, I might be a dumb person but here's what happened to me uh, as I said to you earlier I'm I'm into the second time through this book and the first time I'll, I'll just tell you what I'll, uh, I'll just tell you something first time I'm reading the book I think of Penny the narrator ostensibly and protagonist mm-hmm. of this book as a reliable narrator mm-hmm. and I'm reading and reading and reading and as I'm reading Penny is asking lots of questions in the yes. prose of the book did I say that? When did I do that? Where's that thing I put? And, and then, uh, so, but the whole time, what, what, what Penny's kind of getting at when I first read the book is something nefarious is happening to Penny in this home she's in and people look different and people, what's going on? They won't let us outside. Second time through the book though, as I reread part one and thought about what she was alluding to, rather reading what she said, and then knowing what she would be, how she was going to, sorry, my second time through, I'm reading the part one and I'm like, wait a minute, she's saying a bunch of stuff that I know that she alludes to later in the book because <laughs> I read it the first time. Then I'm like, wait a minute, I don't know if Penny's a reliable narrator. Does Penny have dementia? Right. What's going on with Penny? Because she is now going yep. through her mind and her memories are coming to her in a discordant yep. way and she's saying things that she doesn't even know why she's saying them. Sorry if I'm... Uh, blathering on here, Ian. No, this at all. Is, In fact, this I, just, is, I will just go ahead. Say one thing about because it is just I. I mean, the idea that someone would reread uh, We Spread is I really appreciate that because that's one of the reasons I try and make it as short as possible. I don't think about that at, again in the first draft, or, but as I get closer to revising a final draft, I, I end up removing chunks that I might like or that I might think are are okay, but. 
I, I do want people to be aware of the ideas and I, and the, the possibility that they might be enticed to read it, to read it again, reread it. I think it's a totally different experience on that second read. And, and I, I myself love to do that with books. And, and so that's why I, I hope some people might like yourself might, might do that. And I'm, I'm never sure why we don't do that more with books. Like we do that with everything else. We listen to music over and over that we love. We watch movies over and over that we love, but there's an idea with books that, okay, I've read it. I'm done with it now. And maybe because there's so many, it somehow feels wasteful to reread a book, but I, I really don't agree with that. I think it's every time you read a book and reread a book, it's different, you know, and I, there are books I, I have read five, six times. So I think those who listen to the show with any semi-regularity know that this is not the first time I've had an author on and said I've read reread your book. Mm. Uh, there have been occasions where I've read a book three times, and I've just sort of said it because each reading reveals something. You're absolutely right. Like, I've seen uh, the movies Jaws and The Godfather a trillion times. Like, yes. I literally, probably. Like, I yeah. could not... If they're on, I'm done. That's If they're on yeah, TV... you're locked in. That's my day. Yeah, yeah. I'm in. <laughs> and I just... Well, I not, and there's always something I pick up from it. Yeah. This book is one where I think... Uh, and your other books as well. Like, the second, third time through, whatever, you're going to be like, oh, okay. I should have saw that coming the first... It's one of those things where I'm like, you know, you said people think of it as a psychological thriller. I think it's because it makes them think things... That yeah. they weren't expecting to think. It's less, it's almost less about what you've said. I mean, sorry, there's the chicken and egg argument there. You say a right a thing and then our brains start going, <laughs> like I'm the one unsettled. I, I, yeah. I, if my, if I was a different person, I probably wouldn't be, but I like but I'm that. the I one mean, who gets, that's, yeah. that's how I, I mean, when I feel that as a reader, it's a great feeling and yeah. it makes you want to stop for a moment and, and pause the narrative and think and reflect on what was just said or written. And again, that's what I think of as another beauty of books is that you are in control of that. It's, it's not dictated for you. It's, you can stop anytime you want and reread a paragraph or reread a whole page or just stop and reflect. And there, there is no rush in finishing a book. There's, you know, reading it at one's own pace is, is I think the right way to read. So I just, I appreciate, I appreciate all that, you know. No, and I, I no, and it's it's my pleasure. I mean, uh, I luckily I gave myself a project with this podcast that uh, brings me back to my school days, where <laughs> it's uh, I'm like, oh, I got to interview a musician. I'm going to listen to their album fifty thousand times before we talk, so it's at the ready. If they say something, I'd be like, oh yeah, you said that in song nine. Similarly with your book or authors, I try to reread books. Let me go back to my original train of thought though, because I, where I was leading us initially was. This seems to be a book about elder care and uh, maybe what we think is going on in such facilities is different than what is actually going on. Second time through, I realize uh, it could be, still be that. There's something not right there. But also, this seems to be a meditation on cognitive decline, on dementia, mm -hmm. on disorientation. Are mm -hmm. both things possibly true from your perspective? I think from my perspective, I I would say it's closer to the second, you know, reading um, that the the context, the setting is of an elder care home. But I was less interested in writing about that than I was about writing about those things you just mentioned and and ideas of a, a, what I feel like is a cultural obsession with youth and trying to stay young, and and a fear of aging and a fear of 
getting closer to death and just a fear of death in general and wondering why that is. Why, why isn't it that we, as a culture, we don't value aging and value mm-hmm. getting to that, you know, being appreciative of that point in life. That's what I was really interested in and, and using my own my grandma as an example. She was someone who did get to that. She was fortunate enough to reach stage of life that is elderly she was 102 when she died mm. and she she was never scared she 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 um got to that stage with such grace that i i feel like it, it was a great example for me and she she didn't she wasn't overthinking it she seemed appreciative to be there and 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 was always happy to be around her family and friends who were around her even as her dementia worsened and I appreciate that. I, there's some, I, I like that idea that it's not something to fear necessarily getting older, that there, there is a, there's certain value that comes with that, that we, we lose certain, usually, not always, but usually physical things, but there's other, there's so much other value that we often don't uh, include when we're thinking about these things. So I, I was really interested in, in just why that is and Combining that, then I think with advancements in technology and in healthcare, and the emphasis, certain emphasis we place on on that, and what you mentioned earlier, being productive, and that's where value is supposed to come from, and that's not just for for any particular age. I think that's across the board. That's sort of our mentality. It doesn't doesn't seem right to me necessarily and especially in the context of art which is what penny is interested in so all these threads i think were in my mind as i wrote i was finding out things about penny and the context of where she lives and her her life and i started to try to thread these things together into a kind of cohesive narrative that hopefully people can interpret and pull from what as they see fit you know and what what becomes relevant for them well, I appreciate what you're saying about the um, over. Maybe I think you. I don't want to. Par- I don't want to misspeak, but the overemphasis on youth, uh, certainly as it relates to the elderly. I, I was. I appreciate what you're saying there, but there's a section in the. Uh, rather, there's a, a segment of the of this book where Penny is pondering an offhand comment that she hears one of her fellow residents talking about, um, which is in the realm of immortality. And there's this sort of manic more and more and more and more and more segment. And I think there's also this weird premium placed on immortality, that the notion yes. that life shouldn't be finite. Um, and I think Penny's philosophy is like, yeah, we should, we're not just worker bees. We're not just like, maybe this, these lives should end, you know, maybe this isn't just, why would we all want to do this forever, you know? And, that's exactly. that's a hard thought to have, but also if you're if you're scared, like you mentioned, your grandmother wasn't scared. I don't think that's the case for Penny. I also will uh, slightly tangentially say, as much as I have come to this conclusion, like wait a minute, my my narrator isn't reliable in my second time through reading this book. You did make the setting really creepy. You did, <laughs> Ian, you took uh, the time to make everything around Penny seem, again, now I'm like, is it creepy or is it just Penny's perception of it being creepy? But there's a lot of stuff that goes on that is really yeah. weird. And if you trust Penny, 
because that's what happens when people go into cognitive decline. You, you stop thinking of them as having agency and exactly. uh, co- coherent thoughts. So you're like, oh, you thought you saw something. You thought you, we did something. Yeah, you didn't really do it. And then you discount everything they say. So I think there's a lot of this swimming around in yeah. who to trust, who not to trust, who's the reliable narrator, who has honest intentions here. I'll tell you, I'm team Penny, but I also, <laughs> but I also can see how this topsy turvy uh, landscape you've created isn't solid from anyone's perspective. Like from any character's no, vantage point. It's, it's yeah. not. And I think that is for a number of reasons. One, it, it kind of reflects Penny's own interest in art and the type of art that she likes to make, which is she's a surrealist. And so that also has a part in the story, I think, and, and kind of bleeds into the narrative, her own interest. And I mm. think what you said about her view of getting older and being that we're, we're kind of our value is in how productive we are and also trying to extend life unnaturally, maybe that she comes to understand that in a different way by the end of the book, yeah. in, in a way that I myself align with too, as I was writing it. And I think she does see how the idea of life and death being very similar and that you kind of need the fact that death is this inherent piece of life for everybody actually gives it meaning. And if you, if you somehow took that away, some people might think, Oh, that isn't that great. But in fact would seem to me to be literal hell. And, And I think Penny comes to a similar conclusion, I think in the story. Yeah, I want to. Leave, I want to leave. Uh, like I said, I, I wanted to make sure we tiptoed around this a little bit. I don't want to give too much away. Yeah, I just want to leave the book behind, in a, in a sense, and say, you know, congratulations again, and thank you again for uh, putting these thoughts down. I will say, on a before we completely leave it behind, on a structural level, in terms of your uh, practice, uh, again, I didn't revisit faux. And I'm thinking of ending things again. Uh, I think the last time we spoke, I told you I read Faux, and then I had yes. to reread. I'm thinking of ending things. Yeah. I think that's what happened because I was like, "Wait a minute, yeah. these are conne- I found connections between them." Do you stylistically feel like you? This seems sparse to me, um, particularly yeah. sparse, and particularly um, it's affecting because it's so sparse. I think it's very direct. Does it feel like a departure for you, or an experiment, or something you've done differently? I think a little bit of both. It, it it always probably for me feels slightly different than someone else. I think stylistically there are things that I tried to do differently just for my own interest. And I never want to feel like I'm totally developing one kind of aesthetic or going down a path I've been before. But I think, of course, saying that, there are things that are similar to the other books yes. stylistically. And I think, you know, it's almost like just having a voice that's yours and, and without it being intentional. And so I, I do see that too. And I think one of those, one, that a main thing being that I probably am a, a, a sort of minimalist in my writing. Yes. And, and yeah. I, I think partially that's because I'm writing about ideas and I want people to think about those ideas. And, and maybe if I can, do some work for them by removing some excess that it makes that part of it easier because, you know, I could write, 
I could have written all three of these books and they, they each could have been probably two or three or 400 pages longer. I had, you know, if I had gone that route, but that's asking then way too much, I think, of, of a reader to, to kind of go along that far and try and retain everything and put it, kind of put pieces together. And so to me, that's why near the end of a book, I will always spend time reducing almost the way you would like a sauce on a stove. And because I want it to be almost like a spoonful, you know, you can have the Thanksgiving meal. It's amazing experience. I love that. But having just a beautiful sauce on one spoonful of it is also equally pleasing at times. And I think those, you know, there's the reading experience. That's like the big dinner, which is a 500 page novel. And I like those, but there's something again, I think if you're going to invite people to come back, you wouldn't sit down and have a second Thanksgiving dinner right away, but you would come back for another spoonful of that delicious sauce maybe. Yeah. And I, I, so I think that's part of the reason why these books are quite short and hopefully readable and hopefully feel kind of urgent as you're reading them that you, you, you do want to keep reading because I also think the fewer sittings, the better, you know, if you're, if you're reading a book and you're putting it down and you're reading it for 10 minutes at night before bed for a month or something, it's kind of hard to form an opinion on it. But if you can sit, if you get some time and you can sit down in three or four hours and plow through a novel, it's a, it's a nice feeling, and and you can you just end up retaining so much more of the of the story and the ideas. No, that's that's well said, and I appreciate that. While we're on the topic, as we're speaking, there's a lot of chatter about uh, the book industry, particularly in Canada. Uh, how are you feeling about? just the state of your uh, field because there's book mergers and companies coming yeah. and going and, and real a real reckoning feeling like this isn't working, like this system here does not support the people making this stuff. You've had, you've had great success, I would say. I mean, one of your first book was turned into a, a Netflix thing and you worked with Charlie Kaufman. I mean, who's got that? Foe, I think, was also... Uh, uh, Foe is yeah the movie for Foe is 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 finished shooting and is being edited right now and will come out sometime in 2023. That's really so, unusual for someone to not only have their book picked up but to actually be made into things. You've had your first two novels were optioned and they did stuff. That's so you, all I'm getting at for people listening is Ian from my perspective doing quite well. <laughs> But there are people in, in your uh, same sort of your contemporaries who are struggling. And like I say, and I don't know what you want to say about it, but we're talking about stuff. What do you think? Is Cam, I mean, it's, is Cam I think okay? Or? I, mean, the, <laughs> I mean, there's, 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 I think it's a, there's lots going on. And I think the, the from the side of it of, you know, getting film adaptations, there's so much luck in that too, really. Yes. I mean, there's so yeah. many good books that, you know, some, someone may not, it might not end up in the right hands or, and in, in like in the case of I'm thinking things, Charlie happened to read that book and, and then it, something about it appealed to me, wanted to make it a movie. So that, that, that's just luck, you know? That's, well, you told, that's, that's, sorry, we got to tell this quick story again. Cause you told me what happened with Charlie finding your book. Can you quickly tell yeah. folks what happened if they missed it the first time? Yeah. He, I had, the book came out and, uh, the, my agent had been sending it, uh, uh, around to some producers and I was not, thinking anybody in the movie world would be interested in this book it's quite philosophical and just strange and yeah you know a lot of it takes place in a car so it doesn't it doesn't scream cinema and but there was a couple producers who called and i never felt like they were gonna lead to anything and I, I didn't even really find them overly enjoyable it seemed they seemed like they didn't 
talk about any of the ideas of the book or yeah, yeah. so it, it didn't seem like it was kind of going anywhere and i that's sort of what i had anticipated and then and then you know out of the blue she got in touch with me one day and said oh you know next week would you be able to do you have time i guess she said to talk to charlie kaufman and i remember <laughs> looking down at my desk and i have this like desk calendar which which was literally blank like there wasn't one entry for the whole week which and i said oh yeah i think i can you know find time to talk to him i was a big fan yes, of this, so yeah. i was just thrilled that he had even reached out to the agent to, to you know want to have a talk and and it was great. He was so generous and kind. And I could tell right away that he was the type of person that I like. And we talked for about 10 minutes about the book. And then for about 50 minutes, we talked about a variety of different things, including music and movies. And and it just kind of, you know, progressed from there. And at some point, I had asked him, you know, did the agent send it to you? Or And he said, no, no. You know, it was rec- like Amazon recommended it to him based on his previous purchases or some algorithm had, you know, and thankfully he bought it and read it. And so it's, it really, I mean, I'm, that's, that's, you know, I'm not exaggerating when I say so much of that part of it is, is luck. And, you know, it's, it's like books winning awards or, you know, that's comes down to a panel of three people and they make a decision. And yeah. so, you know, other books that are amazing that I read that I love, they don't seem to get attention and you wonder why. And, I, I do know that I think the Global Mail is reintroducing their book section. I've heard oh, good. this fall, so that that's very exciting. There, you know, even ten years ago, there were several national book sections in newspapers that seemed to be thriving. And yeah, I, I, I used think, to review books for the Globe and Mail, know, and then it stopped. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. They, exactly. And so that would be good. And I just think one good thing that I think is happening, it seems to me, um, is that we're hearing from more voices in. in Canadian literature and there's an emphasis placed on that from I think publishers and I mean that's clearly a good thing that you know the the work itself is going to be better if you're hearing from a variety of different people and a variety of different experiences and so that's something I think that seems to me to be overdue and a good thing and and you know I think as far as from the, you know the business side of it, I I don't know enough about yeah. it even. Like I I I do feel like I'm kind of outside of that world, and maybe that's ignorance. And but I I've so much I try to just kind of think about is um, my the work you know that I'm working on, and 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 I I hope people read, and I hope they like books that are kind of different and that they can maybe discuss or. And I try and do things that are a little different and, and maybe that won't be to everyone's taste. And, but it does feel fortunate, lucky that there's a publisher kind of willing to put it out in the world and, and promote it. And so I'm, I'm grateful for yeah. that. And, but definitely you feel, you just kind of feel from book to book. I think it's similar to music. You know, you just never know how people are going to respond and, and mm-hmm. you're appreciative of any kind of attention and response and 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 then you know you kind of move on to the next thing so yeah that's fair and i didn't mean to put you on the spot with it i just wanted your perspective no, no, some, yeah. some of our mutual colleagues have been a bit more like finally some changes are need some changes need to happen and people are finally yeah. talking about them so that's which good. i think now, that's that's really good yeah yeah so uh we're talking about we spread uh which will be out uh, as people hear this, it's due out at the end of September, September 27th, 2022. What's next for you? And uh, do you have plans? Have you started working on an, a, a new work or anything like that? Well, 
Yeah, I mean, I have a few things on like that I'm working on that are pretty early. Um, the faux film adaptation that I co-wrote the screenplay of um, will be coming out in 2023, so I'm excited for people to see that. Still no firm release date set. Um, we Spread is actually in the in development now for a film, wow. and I'm, I'm I'm co-writing the screenplay with a director named Minhal Bag, and she's she's brilliant, and it's been fun working with her on that. So that you know, hopefully there'll be some news on that front in the coming months, mm. um, and and then just a couple other little projects I have that have, that I'm starting up, and those as I said earlier in the chat, sometimes those go places, and sometimes they don't, depending on kind of narrative momentum so okay. yeah I'm, I'm just kind of plugging away working away i i enjoy working and try, I'm, I'm it's it's been fun to do things in the film world a little bit because that i've always liked you know i've been a fan of cinema but never thought i would work in it or yeah. so i and i feel i wasn't trained in that world anything, so i'm i'm it's fun to get some opportunities to just try stuff and and uh so yeah the next few years hopefully i'll be doing kind of a, a variety of different things and just yeah it's uh we'll see what happens but it's i appreciate chatting with you again because i'm a, i'm a fan of your podcast i listen oh. to it all the time oh thanks and i i really i really, I really appreciate Whoa. how both how you talk to people and you know veer in and out of the work and just the way people themselves are thinking and and the, and the culture at large a little bit and also how you talk to like you talk to a lot of musicians but also writers and mm -hmm. and there, there aren't many places who are doing that so i mean you talked to my one of my dear friends alex uh, weird nightmare yeah. earlier this year and i i love listening to that episode and so yeah i, I appreciate what you do so it's, <laughs> thanks Ian. that's why it's nice to nice nice to talk to you no i i really appreciate it before we uh wrap up though is it too early to talk a little bit about the uh cast and crew for foe i know some of that information is sort of out but is it too yeah, early? no that's all i mean yeah, yeah so it's i co-wrote that with uh garth davis who's an australian filmmaker and he he directed a movie called lion about five six years ago so he co-wrote it with me and he's directing it and then the cast uh saoirse ronan is playing hen henrietta oh nice and paul mescal is playing paul mescal from normal people is is playing junior and then terrence is played by aaron pierre uh he was in the underground railroad i think last year and all of them were i mean i i I'm biased, obviously, but they were. I'm so impressed with their performance. I acting. I, it's just I'm. I never realized kind of what went what went into acting until I would see actors work. And you were on set. Were you on set for chunks of time? Yeah, and I and I you know I was on I was on set for a bit during I'm thinking of anything's too, which was really my first time. Yeah, and it's amazing to see an actor come onto set as themselves and you know interacting with the the crew and and then all of a sudden they snap into it and now they're a character and it's them like you just you see this transformation and then uh -huh. they cut and they do it over and over and over and, and it, it's it's just uh something you have to kind of be there to appreciate right. so the the acting info is, is something i'm really excited for people to see and just that they're all good people i think that's something i've always you know feel again grateful about but you know, you hear stories of people ending up maybe working in that world or the film world, and but everybody, both and I'm thinking of anything's end info, and so far, and we spread. They're just really nice people, kind, have been good to me, and that's almost more worthy, I think, of feeling happy about than the work itself. So 
I hope to continue that too. Well, I just want to say I'm very uh, happy for you. And uh, just given how long we've been sort of interacting, I'm proud of you. It's, it's very exciting, your success. Uh, so I, I, I just appreciate it. And I appreciate your uh, giving me any time. I, I do. I really do. Um, this book is out via Scout Press. It's called We Spread. It's out September 27th. Uh, Ian, if people want to learn more about you or follow your exploits, yeah. if you will, where would you like to send yeah. them? I do have a Twitter account, which is just read my last name, underscore Ian. Ian is with two I's, I-A-I-N. So that's probably a good spot to go. I, I would, I don't know if this is, I, I'm, I'm going to maybe throw you for a loop. One request, if I could have, to, oh. to somehow, I don't know if this is possible, but to end, when I end this, when we end this chat, which has been really enjoyable, it would be, I would love it if you could play a little weird nightmare to, to go out with because oh, that's my wow. guy. And that I is think your that's guy. that one of my favorite <laughs> records of the year. And I, and I hope people are listening to it and enjoying it. And so if, if there's any way we could throw a little bit of that on at the end, you know, I would certainly appreciate that. I'm sure that can be managed in a permissions way. I'll send uh, notes to the respective people. Do you have an actual song pick? Let me put you on the spot. I, I, yeah, I would say Searching for You, just because okay. that's the one that I think that was the first single. And I think I know a lot of people that I've, you know, recommended the album to have, have mentioned that track. So let's, let's say that one if it's possible. And, uh, if it's not, I understand. Either way, I got a little plug in. So no, no, uh, I, I, I I'd say love for people to hear it. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna throw to it right now, yeah. and if you don't hear it, it means some went haywire, everyone. But we <laughs> think we think what's gonna happen right now is you're gonna hear from a great record that came out this past year by Weird Nightmare. This is searching for you as requested on the record by Ian Reed, one of uh, Weird Nightmare's friends and mine. We're mutual friends. So yeah, let's go out on that. Uh, and I think uh, an appropriate, at least an appropriate band name uh, for some of what goes on in We Spread. Let's segue it that way. I was going to say, it's, 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 an, it's I think just a, an appropriate thought for people who might consider picking up We Spread. <laughs> Absolutely. I think, it, I think it fits. So Okay. Searching for You by Weird Nightmare. Ian, this was a, really a pleasure for me. I, I, I hope you enjoyed it and uh, Best luck with everything, and I hope we talk soon. Thank you very much. I always enjoy it. And, yeah, I would hope to maybe see you actually in person sometime before long, too. So thank you again, and thanks, everybody, who uh, picks up the book.
There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. That's greenlight.com slash ACAST. Hey, we did it. We got some weird nightmare on the show. Thanks to Alex Sedkins and the fine people at Sub Pop Records for saying that was okay. Uh, that was uh, Searching for You from the self-titled Weird Nightmare album, as chosen by my very special guest, Ian Reed. Ian, thank you so much for returning to the show and all your kind words and for all your great work. It's, it's unbelievable. Uh, and in this case, uh, for those of you listening, Ian is on the 719th episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One podcast network and is available just about wherever you get your podcasts if you can't find uh, the show or an episode that you're looking for or if you want to learn more about me sign up for my monthly newsletter please visit vishkana.com like creative control on facebook and follow the show on twitter at vish creative or you can follow me directly on twitter and on instagram at vishkana also please visit patreon.com slash creative control to make a flexible monthly donation to keep this podcast going that is the primary source of revenue six dollars or more a month grants you access to exclusive uh, archival content bonus content from uh, these fresh interviews when i have time to go over time with the guests Uh, also you get the episodes just a little bit earlier than everyone else if i can get it done in time Uh, of late it's been out hours earlier you know seven eight hours before everyone else gets it usually the day before is what i'm saying it just depends on my production schedule but yeah that's a perk anyway six dollars or more a month grants you access to all that uh and you can uh, change that amount anytime you want you can lower it you can raise it you can go as high as you want as low as you want really so any, anything you can do to help the show is appreciated and uh if you're interested in receiving a creative control t-shirt just message me on patreon once you've made your uh, contribution and I will get you a t-shirt uh, just as soon as I possibly can. We'll exchange messages. It'll be fun. Patreon.com slash creative control. Thanks again to Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee, uh, all fine establishments in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario, for their in-kind support for this show. Thanks to my old friend Jim Guthrie for lending me some music on the show. You can learn more about Jim at jimguthrie.org. And finally, thank you for listening to this episode with Ian Reed. I urge you to pick up all of Ian's novels. Uh, we Spread is the latest one, and it's wonderful. I hope you enjoyed our conversation about it, and it piqued your interest without ruining the book. Uh, there's a lot going on in the book, so check out that book, and please subscribe to this podcast if you don't already, or follow it or whatever, and tell your friends all about it. That helps spread the word But the show. 
And uh, that's all I got to say. Thank you so much. I'll talk to you very soon. Take care of yourselves. Bye for now. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.